legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm your host, Gary Michaels, and I'm just excited to have our next guest on today, Andrea Wilson-Woods. She's an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, a patient advocate. She's a CEO and co-founder of Cancer University, a for-profit social impact digital health company, which offers free membership to cancer patients and caregivers to educate, engage, and empower them to become advocates for their health care. She's also the president and founder of Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. And I've been so excited to have this time with you because cancer has been around my family and people that I know for a while. And even a few years ago, my fiance had breast cancer and caught it early. But what you do is so important. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. To give us a kind of a background, how did you get into this space where you would be such an advocate for all of this. Well, I've had six family members die from five different cancers. And let's see if I can remember them all. Um, Bone, breast, liver, lung, and head and neck. And the most significant loss was my sister, Adrian. So when I was 22, I was living in Los Angeles. I graduated from school and I got custody of Adrian, who was eight years old at the time. And so I raised her all through my 20s. I eventually did become her legal guardian and I was her parent. And then she was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four liver cancer about a month after her 15th birthday. It was really, really sudden. And that was over 20 years ago. And she lived 147 days with that diagnosis. So that was really my my entry into this world, even though my one of my grandfathers died when I was seven from lung cancer. And that's one of my earliest memories going to his funeral. But it was really losing my sister to liver cancer that changed the whole course of my life. Right. You know, we really wanted to have you as a guest on the show because your legacy and that's what this whole show is about is tied to help and preserve the legacy of others. But your journey where you are today started at 22. It did. It really did. Yeah. Taking custody of Adrian and going through that whole process, what did that do for you? Like, how did that change you? Well, she was my number one priority. So even though I was working furiously all through my 20s and I eventually became a teacher because I wanted to be on her schedule, I was also pursuing an acting career. So even though I was doing all these other things and then having some success, it was not as important to me. So I really focused on raising her. She was my number one priority. So I kind of like to tell people I lived my life backwards. I was a parent in my 20s. I got married in my 30s and then really became a businesswoman in my 40s. Wow, that is that is an interesting story. So all of that stuff that happened with Adrian started three projects for you, three amazing projects. 
Let's start with Better Off Ball, a life in 147 days. Tell us a little bit about that. That is my medical memoir, and it's about raising and losing Adrian to liver cancer. And I wrote it like a journal because I kept a very detailed medical diary the entire time she was sick, but also she kept a journal that she started before she got sick and then continued as well. And so I really wanted to show her point of view as a patient and my point of view as a caregiver and parent and how much they often differ at different times. And so each day in her journey is essentially a chapter. And then I use flashbacks to kind of fill in those seven years before cancer ever came into our lives, because, of course, we, we had a lot going on in those seven years as well. What did you learn from the process and, and of people that have read the book? How has it helped them or how has it impacted them reading what you had in that book? Well, it definitely gives very practical tips because I don't leave anything to the imagination. I use a lot of details on purpose because I wanted people to understand how truly life-changing and overwhelming that experience was for all of us, you know, not not just me and not just Adrian. I mean, everybody in our lives was along for this incredible and ultimately devastating ending to this journey. Um, and then I think on another level, my favorite reviews are the ones that say that at the heart of the story, it's a love story. And it's a love story between two sisters. And I get choked up just even thinking about it because really it is. You know, she was in many, many ways the absolute love of my life. I've never loved anyone the way I loved Adrian so unconditionally. And so that that really makes me feel good when people see that deep down it's a love story. You also found a blue fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association, named in, in memory of her. Yep. What services does Blue Fairy provide for liver cancer patients and caregivers? So Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, through research, education, advocacy. And we started really early on with that education piece because when Adrian was diagnosed, I was given all these one sheets about chemotherapy and nothing about her disease. And I kept asking and pestering them. And I'm like, where's my brochure for the actual disease? And finally, one of her doctors came to me and said, that stuff doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. And he made copies from his medical textbooks and gave me this pile of paper. And I felt so stupid. I have to tell you, even with my college education, I'm like, I don't understand any of this. This is not wow. written easy to understand terms. So then I ended up buying a medical dictionary and a, an actual Gray's Anatomy and sitting there and translating. And although at that time it never crossed my mind that I was going to start an organization, it definitely was in the back of my head like this is crazy that there aren't educational materials that people actually understand. And so from our very inception, we've had patient education materials. We ship worldwide for free. They're in multiple languages. We also have an amazing community that is a true HIPAA compliant forum for patients and caregivers. It's i.e. it's not a Facebook group. And this might seem like a stupid question, but if there was nothing out there, how could doctors fully know? Thank you. That was one of the challenges is that she was diagnosed with what's considered a rare cancer. And certainly it's not a pediatric cancer. And so her oncologist, who was randomly assigned to us, did not know anything about her disease and didn't know how to treat it because she had what they would consider a very adult cancer. And so ultimately, after fighting the insurance for six weeks, I was able to transfer her from Children's Hospital Los Angeles 
to UCLA where they actually had a liver cancer center, a brand new one at the time, and they saw her disease every single day. Wow. But if you wouldn't pushed like that, it would have just slipped through the cracks and even been worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's when I'm working with patients and caregivers now, I tell them you have to be the squeaky wheel. It's so hard. And I don't expect patients to do that necessarily, but their primary caregiver has to be just an absolute advocate. You know, it's it's funny. In the first draft of my book, one of my mentors uh, was giving me feedback, of course, and said, I don't know about the tone here. You sound like an overprotective mama bear. And I wrote back because I was an overprotective mama right, bear. Right. <laughs> and you have to be. You have to be. Just talking about this just touches my heart because there's probably thousands of people over the years that have been affected by this. Millions, maybe. Yeah, liver cancer, the type that my sister had, actually is one of the most common cancers worldwide and the third most common cause of cancer deaths worldwide. And it will overtake breast cancer um, in this country in 2030 is one of the most common cause of cancer deaths. Do they know what the main cause of it is or is it could be a million different things? Yeah, so liver cancer is also one of the most preventable and the causes kind of are in three different buckets. There are environmental causes which are not as common in the U.S., but are common in other parts of the world. And there are viruses, so both hepatitis B, for which there's a vaccination, and hepatitis C, for which there's treatment. Both of those viruses can cause um, liver cancer, ultimately. And then, of course, there's lifestyle choices. And when I say that, most people think of alcoholism, which certainly can lead to liver cancer. But that's actually a very, very small percentage Um, The most common cause in the U.S. for years was hepatitis C, often undetected. And now the most common cause is what they call fatty liver disease. And that is straight up obesity. It just is. And obesity is linked to not only liver cancer, but 12 other types of cancer. Wow. So just health and eating right and exercise is something we've known for years, but it, yes. but it actually, <laughs> it's really it boring, but that's it. <laughs> no, but that is, it's good to hear that sometimes and hear it in a different way. Yeah. Cancer University is, is your newest endeavor. Tell us about the mission of Cancer U and the resource it offers. Uh, you detailed the mission quite well in that introduction, so I won't repeat it, but it's an online platform for patients and caregivers. And it really came out of a need that I saw with my own nonprofit, Blue Fairy, and other advocacy groups. What I was finding is that patients and caregivers, yes, of course, they really want learning materials, but that is sort of the what and not the how. And I felt like that was a missing piece. And I've been coaching patients and caregivers pro bono for over a decade. And it really got to the point where it was very small and niched and and I could handle it. Um, but then it just grew and grew probably because I'm good at it and I wasn't charging for it. It just became unsustainable. And I realized, wow, there has to be this coaching component. So the whole idea of Cancer University is to provide courses that are asynchronous that you can do in your own time, but also a coaching element and ultimately a community. So, and we're still in the process of building all of that out. Okay. So you took on the, the legacy of upholding your sister's legacy, basically. I did. It's certainly not what you planned for in your life, but it seems like it still is deeply fulfilling for you. Hearing you talk a few minutes ago about that kind of love you've never experienced for anybody, but I'm sure there were times it was bittersweet. Talk to us about the conflict of that. Yeah, it's 
it can be really hard some days. I mean, nonprofit work is is not for for the weak. You have to be so persistent and determined. And it just felt like every time I was really close to quitting, I would get a phone call or I would get an email or I would get a message from someone asking for help. And and so it felt like every time I kind of got to that point where I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore, someone would intervene and make sure that, okay, no, this is still needed. And I never thought I would start a nonprofit, to your point. It was not my life's goal. And never did I say as a little girl when I grew up, I want to start a charity ever. <laughs> um, and I really only started it because there wasn't a single organization in the U.S. doing anything about this very specific type of liver cancer. And I knew that it was only going to continue to rise in the U.S. Um, but it can be very, very challenging at, at times. So you also previously worked facilitating women's groups in the Legacy for Children Research Study sponsored by the Center for Disease Control. I did, yeah. Yeah, fill us in a little bit about that. That was uh, one of the best jobs I've ever had in terms of being rewarding. So I worked for UCLA's um, school, the, I think it's the David Geffen School of Medicine or whatever, but it was a pediatric research study and I found the job totally by accident. Didn't think I would get it because I had so many qualifications that were missing, but I did. And I worked on that study until it ended. I worked on it for the last two and a half years of the study. And it was amazing because the whole premise was that any mother can become a good parent if she's given the proper tools. So regardless of her situation at home, regardless of income, that you can teach people how to be good parents. Um, and the, the focus for that study was on the mothers. And so the mothers would come one week with their babies where they would focus on them. And then they would come on an off week without their babies where I would work with them. And I worked with them on well, whatever the group decided. You know, I had one group that really just wanted to get back in shape and exercise. So that's what we did. I had another group. This was their getaway from their child. And they just wanted to do projects like fun stuff, arts and crafts. And then I had another group that they were going back to work and wanted help with their resumes and, and things like that. And so it was it was such a rewarding experience to to see these women just grow and change. Yeah, and it's just a different it's a different realm again where you're helping people, but it was a different way of helping people. It sounds like that's part of your legacy. I think it's part of my DNA. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too, just hearing you talk. What does the word legacy mean to you? It's whatever people remember about you after you're gone. What do they remember about you? Like I, I joke with my um, my dad a lot. So my sister and I, just for your listeners, have the same mother but different fathers. And so my dad and I have a pretty good relationship. And you know, and he's always talking about things that I tell him are not his legacy. Like his credit score is not going to be his legacy, even though he talks about it a lot, right? Yeah. Um, you know, his um, the number of houses he's had in his lifetime is not going to be his legacy. You know, his legacy for me is when I was a little girl and my parents were still married, my mother worked night shift as a nurse, and I would stay up way too late reading books. And then I would come out and my dad would be watching reruns of Barney Miller or Soap. And we're talking about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I was eight years old. And I would come out and then he would chastise me for, you know, staying up so late. But then he would quiz me on world events. My dad loved to quiz me on world politics and world events. And of course, 
I didn't have any idea I was eight, <laughs> but but it was like this really special time with my dad. And so for me, my relationship with him, that's his legacy, is that time that we had together that was so special that even after the divorce that he kept doing. Does legacy have a spot in your business world? I think it does. And I think it gets talked about a lot. Sometimes I feel like people don't really mean it. But I know for my nonprofit especially, ultimately, we always envisioned putting ourselves out of business. Like we always envisioned that we would no longer be needed because we did what we came to do. Okay, we found a cure for liver cancer, and now people can carry that torch forward. And so I do think that word gets a little overused sometimes, but we mean it when we talk about legacy. Right. What's your legacy, Gary? You know, that's interesting that you asked that. Uh, <laughs> I've been blessed to be in the self-help space for many years. You know, I've said for a long time, I want to inspire 100 million people nice. to live happier, better, healthier lives. And 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 I do kind of quantify it. I always, I always, I'm thinking how many people that I wonder did that reach so that it's not just, I want to help 100 million people. It's like, how close am I getting to that? So there's a purpose to that. And even yeah. this podcast. So thank you for asking. I appreciate that. I think legacy is an important thing that people talk about, but they it's very much on the surface. It doesn't go deep. Yeah. If we can go deeper. Yes. But it's like a deeper core. Are you living in a, your life in a way that is making an impact on others? So you're also a podcaster, which is awesome. I am. <laughs> too, right? Better Off Fall and also the Cancer Youth Thrivers. Is that what Yeah, Cancer Youth Thrivers. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Better Off Fall was just a limited serialized podcast that I did. And that was just really, it kind of happened sort of not quite by accident, but I had been working on my book for years and I had, you know, had many editors and, but I was really struggling to get it traditionally published because I got the same feedback from all agents. The writing is excellent. The story is amazing. It's too sad. And I got really to this point of just total frustration where, because, because the book had gone through so many drafts and I knew it was in really, really, really good shape. And and yet it was just too sad. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to test that theory. And so during the year of 2017, I decided to create a video series where basically it's like an audio version of the book. And on a very last minute thing, I went, wait, I should repurpose this content. Maybe I'll do a podcast, too. So it was just really I wasn't thinking about it. And there were 40 episodes over five and a half months. Uh, The video series pretty much tanked like that didn't do very well (laughs) but the podcast took off it just took off it was the craziest thing and and mind you like I didn't know what I was doing it wasn't done very well but it just took off to the point where I still get emails from people who have binge listened to the entire podcast over a weekend and know the whole story now and it's just it's phenomenal what that did in terms of just raising awareness of liver cancer, of the story of my platform. But it proved to me what I thought all along was there was an audience for my book. And it's not for everyone, but there is an audience. So doing that podcast convinced me. And then two years later, I uh, my book was published through a hybrid publishing contract. And, and so it was perfect. And then the other podcast is Cancer Youth Thrivers, where every week I interview a cancer patient, a caregiver, a survivor or provider about their cancer stories and over 100 episodes. And every Tuesday, an episode drops. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm sure you get to look at different angles of it, right? Some people that are struggling with it, that 
caregivers, people that have beat cancer, the whole different, all sides of it, right? All sides of it. Yeah. So what's next for you? That's such a good question. I am working very early stages of my next book now, and it's about basically my 30s when I was grieving and all the careers I went through. I married the wrong person, not a bad person, just not the right person for me. And so early stages with with that book. um, And then actually later this year, my nonprofit is publishing my sister's journal. Like I said, I used little pieces of it throughout my book, but not the whole thing. And so we're publishing her journal. She was also an artist who had her artwork hung in several galleries. So it's going to be kind of her journal, her artwork. And I'm super excited about that. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, just for your books, your podcast, ask you questions, just delve information from you, how would they reach you? My favorite social media platform is LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find there. Um, But if you go to andreawilsonwoods.com, that has all my social media and all my links to all the companies and everything. Awesome. Gosh, your story is so good. And I mean, every day what you're doing is, and honestly, it's an, an honor to your sister. Thank you. When you said I have to be the squeaky wheel, somebody's got to do it. And that's the gift that God's given you to be that person that does that. Yes, I can be annoyingly persistent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. Years later, one of um, my sister's favorite nurses told us that nobody liked me at Children's Hospital. UCLA was great, but nobody liked me at Children's Hospital. They all loved my sister, but they didn't like me at all. And I said, you know what? I'm fine with that. Like, I don't want to be liked. You know, I don't need to be liked. Be kind to my sister. I'm not there to be liked. I'm there to fight for her. (laughs) Yeah, it's really rewarding that I to teach people how to do that now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.